0: It's the next level.
1: Police and sheriff's departments in the Gaines County area have issued an all-points bulletin this evening for a male Caucasian reported to have brutally murdered four women in the Pleasantville area county authorities say that the man, a patient at the Pleasantville Institute for the Criminally Insane, escaped earlier this evening and should be considered extremely dangerous. Officials confirm that the suspect is a heavyset man in his late 40s and is reported to be wearing a Santa Claus suit stolen from the home of one of his victims. All citizens in the Pleasantville Gaines area are advised to remain in their homes until further notice throughout this emergency alert situation.
0: Do you ever fantasize about being killed? Do you ever wonder about all the different ways of dying? You know, violently.
1: And wonder, like, what would be the most horrible way to die?
0: Well, hello, Mr. Fancy. The following program may contain mature subject matter. Discretion is advised. The cottage hearth beams warm and bright, the candles gaily glow. The stars emit a kinder light above the drifted snow. Down from the sky a magic steals, too glad the passing year. And belfries sing with joyous peals, for Christmastide is here. Written by the immortal H.P. Lovecraft. It was a poem entitled Christmas. First published in the Tryout magazine in November of 1920. I know, it's a far departure from uh, other writings like, you know, Dagon and Shadow over Innsmouth. You know, all the stuff about the almighty Cthulhu. Alright, well, whatever. I mean, I guess it's okay if us freakoids like our Christmas with our spooky shit, too, right? Yeah, well, spooky this. From the Next Level Network of Podcasts and Studio Zero. It's the final episode of 2021. Aren't you thrilled? Aren't you glad it's almost over? Worst year ever! Anyways, welcome back to hell, everyone. And get ready to ask the question, what lurks lurks behind Podcast Zero? Zero. And I am your host, post-mortem Paul. And yeah, this week, guess what? It's another episode about a killer Santa Claus. And you're like, man, I thought he said he was done with that. Nope. I got one. I, I actually decided it actually while I was recording last week's episode when I was talking about the different Santa Clauses that I loved throughout the years and I mentioned Larry Drake and kind of in the back of my mind, I'm like, I actually want to talk about that. So this week for episode 114, it's an Aximas special for all you kiddies. the Tales from the Crypt episode and all through the house from 1989 but okay first before I do that I know you all like lists right you all like top tens and top fives and... 2021 gave us a lot of entertainment it had to <laughs> how many countries were like you're under lockdown sit at home and do nothing Yeah. so what did we do <laughs> We listened to music, we watched movies, we watched TV shows, we read books, we did a lot of cool shit. For myself personally, I think I spent most of my time either watching movies or listening to music, but, you know. The music thing usually comes at work, though, because it calms me down. Anyways, I decided I'm going to share three lists, lists with you guys. Top tens. Uh, One being top ten music albums. One being top 10 TV shows or series or, you know, seasons. And then finally I'll do top 10 movies, which is overall movies of all genres. Um, Although you'll find that the list is pretty much mostly horror. But anyways, starting with the music one though. 2021 gave us a lot of good music, actually. Now, I mean, I'm kind of biased towards, you know, gothic music, industrial music, and metal, but... So, no, there's no rap music. There's no, uh, you know... What's her fucking stupid name? I don't know. The one with the big butt. Anyways, there's none of that on here. (laughs) Um, I do feel, though, that this list best represents what I felt were the best albums of the year, and it wasn't an easy task either, narrowing this down. And I took soundtrack scores out of the mix. Um, there's no soundtracks. Because they would have pretty much ruled 10 through 1. And I was like, Man, that's a category all its own. And I'm not going to do that. So, starting... Oh, we're doing this from 10 to 1, by the way. I should say that. So, number 1. You guys already know what number 1 is. But anyways, I'll save it. Um... At number 10 is the Canadian artist known as Living Dead Girl. They're a band uh, out of the Toronto area. They released an album this past year called Exorcism. Not too bad, actually. It was kind of good, especially for a first album. You know, you can definitely tell they've... uh... It's mainly Molly Rennick. Um, I think it's primarily her who put the whole thing together. I mean, she does have a band and whatnot, but I think this is technically her creation you can tell she's definitely been working hard on it and they've already done, I think two live shows on the internet. The first one, I didn't think the sound was all that great, but then they did a second show that I actually did check out and it sounded really good. So very impressed with them. That was number 10 and number nine is not an album. It was kind of an album, but it was an album that was released throughout the year. Um, Daniel Graves uh, aesthetic perfection basically released 12 songs in 12 months and he released basically a new single every month and i really enjoyed it it felt like it was uh, you know the gift that keeps on giving clark but uh, <laughs> it was it was cool and it it was what i really enjoyed about it was each month each song sounded different than the last one like he's definitely Daniel Graves definitely proved over the past year that he has range and he can definitely do things all over the spectrum and whatnot. I mean, personal favorites of mine were Dead Zone and Happy Face, along with the most recent one he just released, Lonesome Ghosts, which was his sort of Christmas song, but sort of not, but he did release it in the month of December. Said it's kind of how he feels at Christmas time, and I think he nails it pretty much dead on. Um... But yeah, twelve songs in twelve months. There's no technical album title like name for it or anything like that. But um, it, it 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 was worth mentioning, and I had to mention it at number eight. Cradle of Filth, existence is futile. I have talked about it on the show before, but I will say that it was definitely nice to see that. Cradle of Bills, still have it. Um, Because the last couple of releases, I was sort of, I mean, I liked them, but I wasn't, like, completely pulled in. And this last one was, like, super awesome. (laughs) In other words, like, in in a lack of better terms, it was just, it was an awesome album. At number seven, Third Realm, uh, Morbid Attitude. Third Realm is basically one guy, Nathan Reiner. He's the brains behind it. He was inspired by, you know, like Nine Inch Nails, Marilyn Manson and stuff like that. Uh, I've always enjoyed his music. I've been listening to him since basically his first album, Under the Black Light, and then followed that up with Love is the Devil. That was the album that really pulled me in, and from that point on, I've been hooked. And this was no exception. Morbid Attitude is a great album and definitely worth mentioning. At number six, Solar Fake and Joy Dystopia, which came out a little bit earlier in the year. I think it was around springtime that one came out. Uh, I haven't talked about it much on the show, but um, Sven Friedrich, I believe, is the the man's name who is responsible for Solar Fake. And I've always, again, I've always enjoyed his music just as much. and they I got into them with their second album. Uh I I didn't I was I wasn't fortunate enough to catch on to them until the second album, but since then I've pretty much been hooked. And the latest one I enjoyed, Dystopia was really good. However, number five is just a little bit better. Uh Rob Zombies, the Lunar Injection Kool-Aid Eclipse Conspiracy. Yes, say that three times fast. It's impossible. <laughs> but um with Rob Zombie's new album, I did talk about it on this show. I was actually very impressed with it. I know most uh, it, most people, when they talk about Rob Zombie, you know, they get shitty about his movies and whatnot. His, his movie career aside, I've always enjoyed his music, and the new album was no exception to the rule. As a matter of fact, I really enjoyed it, and probably played the shit out of it when it first came out quite a bit. Uh, And I've even still caught myself listening to it, even within recent weeks. It's definitely a solid album. Uh, Number four, Ad Infinitum, Chapter Two Legacy. Melissa Bonney has to be probably one of the most busiest women in music today. Uh, What with her side project, um, Dark Side of the Moon. And then on top of that, she also uh, does music with Rage of Light. Ad infinitum. She did a trance song this past year. She did vocals for a trance band. I can't remember the band's name, but I mean, she's just all over the place and recently engaged, so congratulations to her. But Chapter 2, Legacy, is a great album. Already had three singles released from it. Uh, Afterlife, uh, Animals, and I cannot remember the third one that just recently came out. Wow, I'm horrible, but uh, I didn't write down song titles, so I'm just, I just have the albums written down in front of me. but anyways, it's a it's a great album. I highly recommend it. Their first one, uh, chapter one, Monarchy," was an excellent album, and I, this album shows no signs of them stopping, still kicking some ass. And number three, Orbit Culture. The Shaman EP. Uh, I've talked about this one on the show as well. Uh, the song Strangler, I absolutely fucking love. Carvings is a great song. It's a five song EP. It just kicks fucking ass and I think I explained it on the show way back when if I didn't, I'm doing it now take Lamb of God and Sepultura and have the two of them create a baby and that baby is Orbit Culture it's really fucking solid music uh, metal is in good hands with Orbit Culture that is for sure at number 2 Blut Angel, Urlo Sung, The Victory of Light it's uh, basically a double album uh, Well, an album, and then they had, like, second... I think it was, like, seven songs followed as part of the... Blue Don Shell never released just, like, ten songs and call it an album. They've always got to release these multi-massive albums, and we love them for it, don't get me wrong, but, uh... Blue Don Shell is basically the creation of Chris Pohl. Chris Pohl is a man in his 60s who looks like he's 41. Uh, I'm envious of his genes and his voice is fucking pinpoint perfect. Truly the vampire of the music industry. And we love it. Like, Blue Don Shell, I've been following them for at least the last 10 to 15 years. And I love everything that comes out of them. And it just, solid shit their album I pretty much had on repeat consistently until number one came out now number one yeah you guys know what number one is (laughs) I've talked about it on this show I've raved I've ranted about it number one came out October 15th and I have not stopped listening to it it gets played at least once every day. I have the gold Rolex variant, fucking vinyl, double vinyl album. Ice Nine Kills, Welcome to Horrorwood, The Silver Scream 2. Easily the best fucking album of the year. And yes, I'm talking about an album that is, consists of a song about Chucky, a fucking two foot tall demonic doll. Yes. This band, holy shit. And, I mean, all their albums, you know, going back to, like, um, The Predator Becomes the Prey. And, well, every trick in the book, I think, is when they started doing this thing where they were singing about other properties that came out before. And then, of course, they do The Silver Scream. And... They're, they record, what, 13 songs about horror movies and people went fucking apeshit over it. As a matter of fact, to the point where people were pelting them with other movies, right? A song about this and about that. And then we get Welcome to Horrorwood, which is a follow-up with more songs about horror movies and it just fucking works. And their videos are creative as fuck. And, I mean, they just recently there was a live video put on... YouTube a couple weeks ago, uh, performance out of Florida where it's like seven songs they did live, and I mean they're just it it's so amazing. Like and I was telling a friend of mine just the other day, a buddy of mine, Patrick, we were talking about it, and the reason why we it got brought up is I was wearing my Ice Nine Kills ugly Christmas sweater that I own. And he he says to me, He goes, You really do love that band, man, like that that's your jam, man. I, like I told him, I said, it hasn't been since Nine Inch Nails that I've been this nuts about a band. It's been a long time. And, num- yeah, number one, Ice Nine Kills, Welcome to Horrorwood, Silver Scream, uh, two, basically, is, yeah, I, I'm gonna stop, because I, I could talk about this album forever. Now, moving on to the top ten TV show series, whatever, um, this, I'll, I'm going to do a bit quicker uh, because a lot of this I have talked about on this show already, or I've made comments or quips about it throughout the past year. Or so, again, doing it the same as before 10 through 1. Uh, so, at number 10, Creepshow, season 3. I love that we have. We live in a world where Creepshow is a television series. I love it. Uh, probably. The weakest of the three seasons, but I'm okay with this, uh, because it still was solid, it still was good, and, like I said, we live in a world where Creep Show is a TV series. I'm, I'm okay with this. Keep them coming. And, you know, like I said, like, even though it was probably the weakest of the three, that doesn't mean that I didn't love it. There was a lot of great shit that came out of this season. At number 9 is a series that's still kind of running right now, so I can't really put it higher than. As a matter of fact, 9 and 8 are both, and 7 actually, (laughs) are all still running right now. Um, Number 9, Blade Runner Black Lotus. Uh, It's an anime. I know not everyone is happy with it. I don't care. Fuck you. Whatever. (laughs) I like it. I like what they're doing. I like the story that's uh, playing out. I believe episode 7 gets released tonight, actually. Well, I'm recording this on Sunday night, so I believe episode 7 gets released tonight. Um, I like what I see so far. I- I'm happy with it. Where it goes from here, we'll see. At number 8, Dexter New Blood. I do really enjoy the new season. I do find there's some flubs with a bit of the writing, though. Uh, Specifically, it seems like they're making Dexter almost lazy in his approach to things. And maybe that's because, you know, he's had years where he wasn't doing the killing thing. I don't know. It just seems like, especially in a town where it's Christmas time and there's snow everywhere. And he seems like he's just walking anywhere and everywhere, leaving his footprints behind. And I'm like in the snow like it just seems weird but whatever and then there was the one scene where like we find out there's cameras that are, are are all over this field area and that's how they found out that someone killed the one guy Matt and then Dexter goes right back to the scene of the crime knowing the fucking cameras are there like it just it seems off but i mean other than that like i do enjoy what we're seeing i Get a feeling I know where New Blood is headed now. And as for whether or not that gives us more seasons after, I mean, I know this was supposed to be a special season, but maybe we get more after. I don't know. And number seven is one that I've been enjoying a lot lately. Again, another show that's taking place at Christmas time, Hawkeye from Disney Plus. It's kind of interesting, as much as I do admit. The Marvel movies are pretty much the basic same thing over and over. The three act and there's, you know, first act shows our hero at their best. Then they have some fight or they go hit a low and then they, you know, become the hero by the end of the the movie and whatnot. With the TV series, I know it's sort of doing the same thing, but I like that they change a lot of things up. And with Hawkeye, uh, just, just recently, spoilers, by the way, because I'm not holding back on this. The uh, episode five gave us probably the greatest maybe five minute scene ever in history over a bowl of macaroni and cheese. <laughs> I never knew how much I wanted Yolena and Kate Bishop until we got it. And I was like, give me all of that because that was the greatest fucking <laughs> macaroni and cheese dinner scene I've ever seen in my life. It was awesome. At number six, the last drive in with Joe Bob Briggs and yeah okay some people might say well that's not a tv series yes it is it's a series um i know it's sort of different and i i look at it as being like monster vision and in, and back in the day monster vision was on tnt and i used to watch it here in canada through tbs because there was this weird thing where they took it, it i can't explain it it's Canadian TV does this weird fucking thing where it's like, we'll take a show from one network and we'll put it on another and then we'll black out something on that other network. Like it's, it's fucking stupid. Anyways, they used to do that. A lot of people in Canada didn't realize it. Um, maybe it was also because I live in a border city. I don't know, but I do remember monster vision from the nineties and whatnot. And having the last drive in with Joe Bob Briggs, you know, it's, it's kind of like having that all over again and, Just a lot of fun, and I enjoy it. So that's my number six. At number five, this top five, I should add, was very hard to place because I loved all five of these shows. At number five was The Bad Batch. Star Wars show takes place right after The Clone Wars, after Order 66 and whatnot. I fucking loved that show, and I'm looking forward to season two which I'm not even sure when it's coming out yet, but season two, definitely, I cannot wait for it. At number four is another show that we are getting a season two that was guaranteed by Marvel, Loki. And I'm sorry, you you can give me all the Loki you want. That show was hilarious. Easily my favorite of all the Marvel shows we've had. Um, Loki was great. Loki gave us like, visuals of what it would look like if a planet was about to crash into another planet from ground level and i was like i realize that's probably not what it would look like but if it did that's fucking cool like and not to mention like tom hiddleston and owen wilson working off together was wonderful and i not an owen wilson fan and i loved him in that so definitely looking forward to season two of that at number three Castlevania season four and if you guys remember me talking about it on the show way back when yeah I remember what was it it was oh fuck I don't remember what episodes it was I think it was episode six was it It was the one that blew my fucking mind and I was like you can't possibly top that and then episode nine came out and I was like fuck off (laughs) remember that show just blowing my fucking mind and I'm still waiting for the Blu-ray release because I have the other three seasons on Blu-ray and I need this fourth one but there were two shows that managed to top Castlevania and both one and two could be interchangeable because I absolutely love the shit out of both of them but I put at number two Chucky which, can you believe it? A show from the Sci-Fi Network. Sci-Fi is known for cheesy shit. And they're not really known for top quality. I mean, granted, USA Network has this show as well. But Chucky was everything I fucking wanted and more. And hats off to Fiona Durif. Who not only played her own character but played her father in the past as a young Charles Lee Ray fucking kudos to that woman. If she does not win awards, then this world sucks, which we already know that. But anyways, (laughs) she was fucking wonderful. And the kids are great in that, that series. All the kids are great. Um, Jennifer Tilly was great. And Andy Barkley, Alex Vincent was great. Um, What a show, and Devin Sawa was great, and uh, Alexa Doig, and uh, it's just, uh, every week when that show would end, I was like, I want more, why the fuck do you keep stopping, and not to mention, Chucky playing video games with a little girl was like, probably one of the greatest things I ever watched on TV in my life, but then there's number one. Number one is a Netflix series, probably the most talked about series Well, in a while, since Stranger Things, I would say anyways, Squid Game. I have to... Squid Game, fucking... I was happy. I was sad. I was upset. I was angry. I had every fucking emotion flying through me watching that. And that was... I Think about it. It's a a TV show about grown adults playing kids games. But the stakes are, if you don't win, you're dead. (laughs) And there can only be one survivor. And the Marble episode is the one that gets everyone. Fucking crushed me. Holy shit. Didn't see that coming. That was episode six. The one with the Marbles. Fuck what you fucking Koreans, man. And I don't mean that in a racist way. I mean that in holy shit, you guys rule in writing. I mean, between Squid Game and Train to Busan, two things that literally had me feeling at my highest and then would fucking crush me. (laughs) <laughs> and then raised me up again. Um, Squid Game was amazing. I, as much as I loved Chucky, Squid Game kind of took the cake. It was that great. Honorable mentions, just quickly, because i got to throw a few out there. There was WandaVision, which I really enjoyed. Eli Roth's History of Horror Season 3 was really awesome to watch. I especially liked the episode about the holiday Films and whatnot. Behind the Monsters was pretty good. Um, I wasn't overly thrilled with all the episodes, but the Chucky one especially was really good, and the Pinhead one was really good. Resident Evil Infinite Darkness basically could have been a movie, but they cut it up into four. I was okay with it. And then there was the series Tresse. That was also pretty good. Again, another Netflix series. And now on to the movies. Before we get into Tales from the Crypt and all through the house. So, again, 10 through 1. I should point out... This could change because I have not seen Matrix Resurrections yet. But as it stands right now, this is pre-Matrix. Keep that in mind. Because Matrix is the movie I've been waiting for all fucking year. But above all else, it's the movie I have been waiting for... Right from the get-go. And... I'm really hope I've avoided trailers. I've avoided pretty much anything visual minus posters. I've seen posters online. I've seen pictures online. I saw the red carpet pictures of Keanu Reeves and Carrie Ann Moss and whatnot. But in terms of trailers and all that fun jazz, I've avoided all of it to this point. I am so looking forward to this movie and I really hope it doesn't disappoint. But As it stands right now, this is the top 10 pre-Matrix Resurrections. At number 10, Black Friday. Bruce Campbell, Devin Sawa, and a movie that takes shots at annoying customers in a retail setting. Yeah, I'm sold. (laughs) That's all I needed. And it's colorful, and it's got a nice festive feel to it. Yes, there's some writing flubs with it, but I mean, come on, whatever. There's some good practical effects. It's just an all-out fun movie. At number nine, Halloween Kills. Yes, it was... Going into this now, knowing what the creators were doing, it was enjoyable. It was nice to see a very pissed-off Michael Myers who basically was just filled with malice and just slaughtered the fuck out of anything that came along his way, including a bunch of firefighters... We do love firefighters, you know, you guys save lives and we get it, but it was fun to see you get slaughtered. <laughs> Sorry. Um, at number eight, Barbara Crampton does it again with Jacob's Wife. I did talk about that show on this podcast. I really enjoyed it. I love. The vampire twist in the whole thing. I like the fact that it was a minister whose wife becomes a vampire. I thought that was awesome. I like the look of the, the main vampire and whatnot. It was a fun movie. I really did enjoy it. And, I mean, after seeing it, I did go out and buy it. So, I mean, it was physical media worthy. <laughs> At number seven, A Quiet Place Part 2. Which, I gotta say, impressed the fuck out of me. Because... Usually a sequel is very inferior to the original, and this one was pretty much on par with the original. So, kudos! Yes, there's some flubs and whatnot, but whatever. I mean, movies are movies. They do what they do. And it was entertaining nonetheless. That's all I needed. It was entertaining. It still had some of the same beats, what with, you know, having to be quiet and whatnot. And... I'm looking forward to part three. I really am. I think part two set up a very nice part three. So I really enjoyed that. Number six was one that caught me off guard. Didn't realize I was gonna love it as much as I did. And if you guys remember, I did an episode on this movie because it was that fucking good. The Dark and the Wicked. Shutter exclusive. And I enjoyed the hell out of that movie. It was oh it was so well done. I'm not going to talk much about it because there is a full review of that episode. Uh, like it's one of the episodes. So feel free to go listen to it. But I just, it, it definitely had to be mentioned. However, the top five were just that much little bit better at number five. Candy man. Yeah, I know. Everybody hated candy man. No, not everybody hated Candyman. Just certain idiots that, you know, hadn't seen the movie, but Oh, a couple of bubbleheads on YouTube told me it's a racist piece of shit. Okay. You miss out on it because it was a good movie. It was actually really well done. I liked how it, it tied back to the original film. I liked some of the social commentary in it that was necessary. Um, and overall, like, I, I just. I like what they did with it, and I mean, for those people that complained, yes, spoilers, uh, that Tony Todd was only a cameo. Uh, Tony Todd could not portray Daniel Robitaille the way he did in the 1990s. You're talking 30 years later, so I got it. It made sense, and I like what they did. I like the spin on it because now we can create a universe and more stories that can tie in and they don't have to necessarily always be the same actor it was very clever what Nia DeCosta did with the story so definitely number five was Candyman for me number four here we go this is where I pissed people off Zack Snyder's Justice League yeah fuck you I loved it I thought it was amazing four hours did not seem like four hours that was a fleshed out movie That was the movie we deserved. We should have gotten originally, and I would have sat my ass in a theater for four hours to watch that. But no, we let Joss Whedon come along and say, hey, watch as I make this a very happy superhero movie. None of of the movies have been happy. Why the fuck would you change the tone? But it is what it is. Um, Unfortunately, Restore the Snyderverse will not happen. And if you guys remember, I did an episode on that as well. because i love this movie and yes i bought the 4k blu-ray of it i have it, it's such a fucking gem i loved it but there were three movies that were just a little bit better and at number three fear street part two 1978 all three fear street movies are awesome let me say that but part two Was just something fucking special. And I don't know if it's because of the throwbacks to like Sleepaway Camp, Friday the 13th, The Burning, and all those great summer camp movies. Or if it was just the fact that for a slasher, this fucking killer was vicious. And I loved him for it. Sort of like Michael Myers in Halloween Kills. Like he just... Full on like ferociousness. And... I absolutely loved it, and the acting was great in it. I thought the music score was great for it. Fear Street Part 2, in my opinion, was the best of the three, but I loved all three, and I can't wait till they get a Blu-ray release. Still waiting on Waxworks to uh, Waxwork Records. Can you please ship out the fucking triple vinyl? Because, like, (laughs) I want that. As much as I can listen to it on, like, streaming services right now, I kind of want my vinyl records. You said winter 2021. Well, you've got, what, 11 days left before we're into 2022? At number two. Okay. James Wan, you did it again. Yes. Malignant. Oh, my God. That movie was so much fucking fun. And it will be reviewed on this podcast Probably early 2022, just waiting to get my hands on the Blu-ray, which I'm hoping is a Christmas gift. But if not, I'll buy it right after Christmas. (laughs) But anyways, uh, definitely Malignant was something fucking else. And I love, 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 love the little throwbacks to Basket Case. Yes, it it definitely had a Hen and Lauder feel to it. It did a lot of other stuff as well. It's a great Giallo on top of that and everything else. I mean, James Wan just wrote a gorgeous love letter to horror in general when he made that fucking movie. And (laughs) the last, what, half hour of that movie just goes off the fucking rails. So awesome. The soundtrack score is great as well. Everything about that movie was. Pinpoint perfect, except that at number one, I have to say there is one movie just a little bit better. My number one movie of the year. Honorable mentions first: a classic horror story on Netflix, "Willie's Wonderland" with Nick Nicholas Cage. <laughs> a movie where Nick Cage says nothing, and it's still much, all that much more fun werewolves within was a classic little whodunit movie with a nice little spin on the werewolf genre. Love that psycho gore took me a while to get used to, but once I did, I can say that I actually appreciate everything that is in that movie. And I'm now on board with the rest of the world. Yeah. Psycho gore was definitely a lot of fun. And then there was free guy with uh, Ryan Reynolds and, Stupid little movie, but it was just fun and enjoyable, and I loved the shit out of it. Number one movie of 2021, now that I've gotten everything out of the way, The Boy Behind the Door. And I know you're like, wait, what? I don't even recall if he mentioned that one. Yeah, I talked about it briefly on the show. I didn't really get into details because, again, much like Malignant, this will be a full-on review. Somewhere early 2022 is what I'm aiming for. This movie was one of the few movies of the year that actually had me feeling anxious. The tension in the movie actually got to me. And I can't say that about many movies, even within the last 10 years. And I was actually tense watching that movie. I, I, can't, I can't say it enough. When, when a movie can actually make me feel tense and can make me actually feel anxious that props to it it was number one movie of the year for me boy behind the door and I know I didn't really talk about it much on the show but it's definitely a classic it it, nine out of ten nine and a half out of ten it's an amazing amazing movie if you have access to Shudder I do recommend you check it out. It is, without a doubt, one of the greatest movies not only of 2021, but probably of the last five, ten years easily. Um, Very well done and very well acted by the two child actors in it. Um, Definitely they they stole the show. Now it's time... Gotta talk for almost forty minutes already. Now it's time to get into our special of the week, the review of the week, which uh, is a nice little, uh, nice little holiday flick to talk about. A lot of history with this one, a lot of throwbacks and whatnot. I almost wonder who the all-star cast is. Is it the cast that were on the screen or the cast behind the screen? You make your decisions when we come back. I'm going to let somebody, uh, I'm going to let, I, I'm going to bring on a guest. Someone that wants to talk to you guys.
1: Ho, oh, 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 kiddies. Just your old pal, the Crypt Keeper, having a little holiday fun. Why else would I be in this getup? Unless there was a clause in my contract. <laughs> in fact. Christmas goose for you. Goosebumps, that is. Yes indeedy. A little terror tale chock full of holiday fear. I mean cheer, of course. So get a gander of a old tide Yelp yarn that goes a little something like this. Twas the night before Christmas and
0: all through the house. Alright, well, thanks for showing up on the show there. Mr. Cryptkeeper, it's always nice to have your presence on my show, even though it never happens, because, you know, you're just too damn cool to ever show up on my show, except when you want to, you know, and all through the house. Yeah, they already know that's what we're talking about, but all right, you do what you do, whatever. Um, Think just because you're older than me and better looking than me, like, fuck you, whatever. I'm kidding. I love The Crypt Keeper. I really do. Anyways. (laughs) Tales from The Crypt. And All Through the House was from the first season. It was the second episode. First aired June 10th, 1989. I guess it was Christmas in June that year. But... Whatever. Directed by Robert Zemeckis. I don't know. Big name, eh? From Back to the Future. And... This episode, the screenplay, was written by Fred Decker. Uh, Monster Squad, Night of the Creeps. And it was also aided by Stephen Dodd, who was the creator of Tales from the Crypt, the TV show. And this specific episode was based on the EC Comics by William Gaines. So, already big names involved here. And then the producer was Richard Donner. Richard Donner of Superman, Lethal Weapon, Scrooged. And then you got Joel Silver, who did Die Hard in The Matrix, An Orphan. And Robert Zemeckis also was producer. I mean, big names. Again, Cinematography by Dean Cundey. Dean Cundey... Uh, John Carpenter's, like, right-hand man half the time did Halloween, worked on The Fog, he worked on Escape from New York, uh, The Thing, and he worked on, you know, movies like Romancing the Stone and Back to the Future. And then you got the Crypt Keeper himself who was designed by Kevin Yager, you know, who, not only that is he's married to Catherine Hicks from Child's Play. That's how they met, actually, was on the set of Child's Play. And the Crypt Keeper himself, the actual Crypt Keeper inherited Chucky's eyes like literally the blue eyes of the Crypt Keeper are the same eyes they used in the Chucky doll (laughs) like um, and we're talking Kevin Yager, you know guitarist for Sammy Kerr on Trick or Treat bet you didn't know that, of course you did but anyways and then you've got the music done by Alan Silvestri, again another big name, did Romancing the Stone, Cat's Eye Back to the Future, Predator, The Abyss, Super Mario Brothers. I had to throw that one in there. Judgment Night, The Avengers, Captain America First Avenger. All Big name. Like I said, you almost have to wonder. Who were the bigger names here? The people behind the scenes or the people on the screen? Let's talk about the people on the screen. The starring cast. Pretty much five people. That's the thing about Tales from the Crypt episodes, never needed a big cast. Well, at least for one episode. You look over all the whole series, my god, the list of cast members goes for miles. Anyways, for this episode of End All Through the House, uh, you have Mary Ellen Trainer. She plays Elizabeth Kamen, or also known as The Wife. And she was from movies like Romancing the Stone, The Goonies, The Monster Squad. She was in all four Lethal Weapon films. She was in Die Hard. She was in Scrooge. And sadly, though, she passed away in 2015 at the age of 62. I know. Bummer. But she's done a lot of good stuff. But, I mean, you listen to those titles, you see why she was in this, right? Like, she worked with a lot of the people who were behind the scenes. Marshall Bell... As Joseph came in, also known as The Husband. Uh, We first saw him as the coach in A Nightmare on Elm Street 2. He was the coach that was into all the S&M shit. Uh, He was in Stand By Me. He was in Twins, Total Recall, uh, The Chase, the movie The Chase. I don't know how many of you know that one with uh, Charlie Sheen. Christy Swanson was in that. Henry Rollins, Ray Weiss. It was... Funny little movie from back in the day. And he, Marshall Bell was also in Starship Troopers, which I've talked about on this show. As a matter of fact, when I did the All Through the House episode a couple of weeks ago. Um, and, yeah, I know, I did... This is two episodes that are almost the same title. I have an All Through the House and All Through the House. <laughs> and, and, yeah, anyways... Moving on to Lindsay Whitney Berry as Carrie Ann. Carrie Ann came in. She's a little girl. She only had three acting credits, and one of the other ones was she was the hoverboard girl in Back to the Future Part 2. And that's pretty much that. You have Larry Drake as the deranged Santa Claus. And I've talked about Larry before on this show when I did episode on dr giggles which yes he was in dr giggles he was in dark man he was in dark man 2 he was the father in american pie 2 and yes also he sadly passed away in 2016 at the age of 66 so a bit of a bummer and then finally let's talk about john kassir john kassir is the crypt keeper now he's he had a lot of credits But there was a couple that really caught my attention. I was like, I'm definitely mentioning these. So John Kassir was the voice of Buster Bunny from Tiny Toons. He was Buster Bunny in the Christmas special. It's a wonderful Tiny Toons Christmas special. And then he did also a few other uh, Buster Bunny appearances. There was like the Spring spring Break uh, TV movie and whatnot. He did a couple of those. And then this this stood out, because I was like, oh shit, I never knew this. John Cassier was the one who played Ray Palmer, also the Atom, in the unaired pilot of Justice League of America from 1997. If you've ever seen anything of this fucking pilot... <sighs> It almost makes Batman and Robin look like an Oscar winner. That's how bad it is. And I totally did not know that John Kassir was Ray Palmer. I'm like, now I want to watch this again. I mean, and and it's fucking horrible. Here's the interesting thing about also Justice League of America. Justice League of America was directed by Louis Teague, who did Cujo and Cat's Eye. He was uncredited because there was another director on top of it, but Louis Teague, who did Cujo. is a fucking great movie, and Cat's Eye is a clever little anthology. He also did the Justice League of America pilot, the unaired pilot. It's like, wow, that's two guys that I have a lot of respect for that were a part of that, and it's like, ugh. Tales from the Crypt and All Through the House has a runtime of 22 minutes. It's not rated, even though it was an HBO production. Now, the thing with that was on HBO, they could basically be uncensored. They had violence, nudity, language, the whole nine yards. But a lot of the episodes when they were shown on network television were edited and watered down. The synopsis for this little segment... Based on a story from the original EC Comics, a greedy woman makes the mistake of murdering her husband, while an escaped mental patient dressed in a Santa Claus outfit is on the loose. That's pretty much all you need to know. Uh, (laughs) The story is very basic and straightforward, to the point, and I like that. I mean, they're 22-minute episodes, right? So you're not going to have some complex story with, like, you know, 50 plot lines going on, so it makes sense. For this, seg- for this segment of the show, I'm calling this Twas the Night Before Cryptmis." I thought that was kind of clever. I know it's not, but I, for me, that's clever, okay? I, I'm proud of myself. Pat myself on the back. Uh, okay, so anyways, the title of this, obviously, is the first line from the poem A Visit from St. Nicholas. And you're like, no, it's not. It's from the night before Christmas. Um, or some people know it as Twas the Night Before Christmas. Did you know, though, that it was originally called A Visit from St. Nicholas? And it was first published in 1823 anonymously, but it was written by Clement Clement Clark Moore or Clement C. Moore. Um, yes, the original name for the poem was actually A Visit from St. Nicholas. Or I guess in certain places uh people also called it a visit um but yeah i only recently found this out probably within the last couple months i didn't even know this this was something that was new to me i was like i always thought it was twas the night before christmas That's what i've always called it Oh, no, originally a visit from saint nicholas okay anyways In the Season 1 episode, and all through the house, the radio announcer warns the Gaines County area of the escaped maniac in the Santa suit. Gaines, think about that for a minute. I did already mention that EC Comics, um, the publisher for EC Comics was William Gaines. So that was a little throwback to him. And that's kind of cool it's not the first time first time this story has been adapted into a live action segment though so here's where something a lot of people know this but for those of you who don't there was a film that came out in 1972 known as tales from the crypt now it wasn't this it didn't have the crazy dead zombie like crypt keeper it did have a crypt keeper though i'll talk about that in a bit but anyways this movie from 1972 was a british film Known as Tales from the Crypt. And it had, I believe it was like five segments. It was an anthology film. And, anyways, the first segment in that movie was this, except it was different. It was play, um, the wife in that was known, as, her name was Joanne Clayton. Uh, she was played by Joan Collins. And Martin Bodie, Bodie or Body, I can never remember. I, I think it's Bodie, played the husband. Chloe Franks played the daughter and Oliver McCreeby McCreeby was the maniac Santa. Now the 1972 version. All right. So it's a bit more darker, more tense. Uh, this one is a little bit lighter in like the 1989 version and not to mention in the 1972 version from the film, Joan Collins barely says anything at all. Like she has very little dialogue in, in, in in that segment As a matter of fact, the whole segment uh, pretty much has very little dialogue. I mean, there's a little girl who's like, look, mommy, I let Santa in. And there's the radio broadcast and whatnot. But in terms of Joan Collins, she didn't say a whole lot in the movie. Um, And then in the 1972 version, I I mentioned there's a Crypt Keeper. But he's presented very differently. He isn't dead. He isn't a creature. He isn't, you know, a corpse or anything like that. But instead, it's a man who's just in a brown hooded gown. And he was played by Ralph Richardson, whose career actually started way back in 1933 with films The Ghoul and Friday the 13th. And you're like, what? Friday the 13th came out in 1980. No, there was a movie in 1933 with the same title. It's amazing how many people seem to forget that. And, okay, so, while And All Through the House was adapted twice in live-action form, in 1972 and 1989, where did the original story come from? Well, it came from a comic book. I don't know. Follow the source material. Well, it did. Um, EC Comics Vault of Horror number 35. That was the issue in which this story first showed up. In the Vault of Horror Comics, it ran in publication from April of 1950 to December of 1955, forty issues in total. So this was obviously late in the run, you know, number 35, and like I said, there's 40 in total, so this was very late. Uh, the series itself, The Baltimore of Horror Books, was created by William Gaines and Al Feldstein. Feldstein is another name that kind of gets mentioned in the radio broadcast. Um, Feldstein also, uh, I should mention, was an editor for Mad Magazine from 1956 till 1985. So... That's kind of cool, especially if you love Mad, com- uh, Mad, Mad, Mad Magazine. Why I want to call it Mad Comics, I don't fucking know. Anyways, the Vault of Horror Comics, um, a little bit different than Tales from the Crypt, uh, because, okay, each book had three hosts, and each host told a story. There was the Vault Keeper, the Crypt Keeper, and then there was the Old Witch. And they all had their own story, and there was three sometimes three sometimes five stories in each issue and whatnot in the comic version of and all through the house it's actually the vault keeper who told the story uh it was his story that he was presenting in the book um not the crypt keeper but in both the film and the tv version of it it was the crypt keeper telling the story of you know this murderous wife and how santa's on the loose to kill her the cover artwork of the vault of horror number 35 was created by Johnny Craig. He also did the script and he did the artwork. However, the colors for the artwork were done by Marie Severin. Um, but basically he kind of wrote the story. So this all starts because of an idea Johnny Craig had. Um, so now that you know some of the history about this short film, uh, how about, the movie. How about the for starters? This version of the story was meant to be a dark comedy, and I mentioned that because it's not a horror story. And I actually saw a few comments where people were like, "Oh, well, this was kind of lame," and blah blah blah. And it's like, you do understand the term dark comedy, okay? The, the TV series *Tales from the Crypt* was in, in in a lot of ways, it wasn't meant to be a horror series. It was it. Black comedy, dark comedy, whatever you want to call it, it was supposed to be, you know, satirical and cynical and whatnot. The 1972 version of this uh, adaptation obviously played it more straight, more tension-driven and whatnot. This this version in 1989 was meant to be less serious. Yes, again. Another killer Santa Claus story. Everyone, I I did see comments where it was like, well, once you've seen one, you've seen them all. Okay, but let's also keep in mind though that this original story, Baltopor number thirty-five, came out in nineteen fifty-four. So, yeah, okay, we've seen it before, but keep in mind this was one of the originals, and this is just an adaptation of that story. You know what I mean? And the actors. In this one, they all work very well. Even Marshall Bell, who's basically a dead guy for most of the story, <laughs> I'm sure at times it's probably a dummy that you know it, that Mary Ellen Trainer is like dragging around and whatnot, the wife or whatever you want to call her. But yeah, Marshall Bell he does have a small little cameo, and then he's basically a dead guy. Um, and as for Mary Ellen Trainer playing Elizabeth, the the wife or whatnot, she's solid. Same with the little girl who's played by Lindsay Whitney Berry, uh, Carrie Ann, I believe the name is and whatnot. She's she's good, but I gotta say, and see, this is why I last week while I was mentioning this, I'm like, I'm doing this as an episode. Larry Drake, he owns this. It's kind of like uh, when you think of Tales from the Crypt Demon Night, how Billy Zo- Billy Zane owns that. Well, Larry Drake owns this. He's maniacal, he's menacing, he's got like a great menacing grin. And he just has that leering, vicious look to him. I, I have to say that if I saw him on Christmas Eve, I'd run for my life too. <laughs> I threw that in there because I just watched Silent Night, Deadly Night today. and The whole, if you see Santa Claus, you run for your life! It's like, yeah. <laughs> if I saw this Santa Claus, I'd be running for my life, definitely. Uh, very malevolent. He's... Fuck, he plays it up to the T's, man. Like, it's just, it's so, it's so much fun. Kind of like when he was playing Dr. Giggles, you know, an escaped mental patient with a penchant for stalking and death. Like, and he does it so well. And I mean, while all the parts fit for the narrative, actor-wise, like, I mean, everybody's great in this. It really is Larry Drake's moment to shine. And he's a very bright Christmas bulb. Okay, that sounded cheesy, but I just thought of it now. I thought it would sound cool. Um, I can't forget to give a nod, obviously, to the Crypt Keeper segments as well, which I also learned recently. All Crypt Keeper segments for every episode were directed by Kevin Yager. That's cool. I did not know that. I learned that recently. Um, but this, this segment here was the first time he would announce the title of the episode in the dialogue, which... Okay, it's kind of big and whatnot, but it was only the second episode. <laughs> it just meant that the first episode, he didn't do it. But whatever, it's one of those factoids they like to throw out there. And I was like, I right, we'll throw it in there too. Um, I like the campy humor of this version. I really do, especially the death of Marshall Bell's character, because it's like, it, it, I forget exactly what it is he says, I want it now or something like that. And she's like, really? And she just bumps him in the head with a fucking fireplace poker. And in one shot, she takes him out for the count. he's dead right there and then. It's like okay, um, I'm sure he'd have a splitting headache. Ha ha ha! But um, and 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 then there's the the campy humor or the humor, I should say. I don't know if I actually call it campy. Just the struggles that Elizabeth goes through trying to hide the dead body while also trying to avoid a killer on the loose. She wants to call the cops, but she can't, because she's got this dead body. And then she thinks, okay, I'll try to frame Santa Claus with her husband's death. But she doesn't make sure, like, she knocks Santa out, but she doesn't make sure he's dead. So now he gets to come back, and obviously he goes up the, the side of the house or whatever to you know, to let the little girl know, hey, I'm I'm here, and then she lets him in the door, and then we get that big reveal at the end where the daughters let Santa in the house because she doesn't realize he's not really Santa. Um, and then, of course, <laughs> I always love the end of this episode when, like, the wife, like, Elizabeth, is, like, screaming, no, no, and she's, like, just screaming, and it reminds me of to- Tom Adkins at the end of Halloween 3. I don't know. It just, it's what I always think of. Uh, it's a great story of what goes around, comes around kind of thing, or it, as the Crypt Keeper even says in his closing segment, like, you know, watch what you ask for for Christmas and stuff. It, it's just, it's so great. It's, the episode, by the way, is filmed beautifully by Dean Cundy. Again, this is now where I'm like, okay, who's the real all-star cast here? Because it, it, it's just a Gorgeous looking episode. It's got snow and Christmas lights and it just looks very beautiful. And then you've got the complimentary score from Alan Silvestri. You got the great writing of Fred Decker. You got the direction of Robert Zemeckis. It's like holy shit. And not to mention it's got all the elements you want from a Christmas story. I've been talking about this over the last three weeks with different Christmas episodes and whatnot. You've got the snow in Pleasantville, which, by the way, is also the name of the town in the original comic. Uh, and I remember that when I actually was paying attention, I'm like, Pleasantville? I'm like, they had a movie called Pleasantville. It's not that. But, <laughs> like, you had the, the name of the town is Pleasantville, uh, but you got the snow, right? You've got the snow. You've got Christmas lights. Christmas lights. We love Christmas lights. We love the glowing reds and the blues and the greens. you got Christmas music. As a matter of fact, it opens up with Christmas music and it's beautiful. You've got Santa Claus. Everybody loves Santa Claus at Christmas time. And then you've got blood and death. Fuck yeah, I'm in all the way. (laughs) I have seen a few, I will say, but not many, but I have seen a few reviews or comments from individuals who did not find this to be a fun story at all. My whole thing is I'm not sure what the fuck they wanted from it. Like, I honestly don't get it. First, it's 22 minutes long. You're not going to get some, like, epic grand scale tale or anything. It was the second episode, I might add, from the first season. The first season, if I remember correctly, is only six episodes long. I mean, this was done as a nod to the original comic. It was, And a nod also to that original live-action adaptation. <clears throat> that was written by, I wrote it down. Milton Subotsky, and directed by Freddie Francis. Um, and I do have to say, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a male here, and I'm going to say what a lot of men think when they see that 1972 adaptation. Joan Collins is gorgeous, <laughs> and I'm not a Joan Collins fan, but she's gorgeous in that, like fucking great, and as I, as I mentioned, Fred Decker, I, I can't say enough about Fred Decker. This is a guy who gave us the monster squad and night of the creeps, two of the greatest 80s movies I can think of. And he flushed out a story. Okay. The 1972 version is only 10 minutes long. It's very quick. And he flushed it out and gave it an extra 12 minutes and he, he made it work. So again, I don't know what people wanted. I don't know where people were complaining. Podcast zero rating for this? Well, what's left to say? I mean, I've pretty much said everything throughout this whole review. So, I mean, I really don't have a whole lot left to say, except that I'm a sucker for Killer Santas. And Larry Drake does so much with such a limited time frame in a 22-minute episode, and he's not the only thing on the screen. So He does it so well, it's like, I fucking love this. It's a Christmas episode on top of that. So I'm a sucker for that. It's a dark comedy a nice nod to the versions that preceded, preceded it. This one is deserving. It's, it it deserves a nine fireplace pokers to the head out of 10, but because it's Christmas time, I'm giving it a fucking 10. It's 10 out of 10. This is one of those annual viewings for me. I've already watched it twice this year. Once just because I wanted to. And once for this episode, (laughs) And it's right up there with Black Christmas, Christmas Evil, Silent Night, Deadly Night, and a Charlie Brown Christmas. I might add that one as well. But yeah, it's it's a 9, but I'm going to give it a 10 because I'm in the Christmas spirit. And on that note, thank you for listening. And I do have to say, thank you for being a part of the 2021 experience of what lurks behind podcast 0. Um, it's been a rough year. We know that. In the really real world, it fucking blows. Okay? This world sucks. Everything sucks about it. But for this podcast, I have been blessed with a lot of great listeners, some feedback, not a lot. I would prefer a little bit more feedback, but hey, Not everyone is into the feedback thing. I get it. I'm not one that does it a lot myself anyway, so it's cool. The thing is, is that just within the last nine months, the podcast has kind of gained a lot of listenership and I don't know where it's coming from, but I love you all for it. And so that has made what has been a really rough year a little bit better. I mean, I've had a lot of time this year to work on this show and to grow with it. And I find that even within myself... You know, with how I approach movies, and when I think of the show overall, and I think about you know three years ago where I was at when this show started, I was kind of that guy. I was the guy, oh, remakes and reboots and sequels. Who the fuck needs them? I'm still kind of that guy, but I'm a little bit more open-minded now. Um, I think over the past year, I've definitely lightened up a lot, and I think it's (laughs) a part of it is because. You know, in that whole really real world, all we've been told is, stay locked indoors, don't go outside, stay away from people. So what do you do? You watch movies, you know, you watch TV shows. And I didn't want to be that guy. A lot of people in this world have fallen into that trap of the whole us versus them, you know, pick a side and argue with others about it. and It's the whole right versus wrong. And there's a lot of shit that... I, I'm honestly surprised so many people fell for it but they did and that's, it's unfortunate it's sad but maybe the one day the world wakes up and sees what's actually going on I'm most likely not but hey, it's something I'm hopeful for but the thing is, is what I want to get to my point is is that I've had a lot of time to watch movies I've had a lot of time to watch shows but I've also had a lot of time to appreciate film. And to appreciate moving pictures, the art of moving pictures, the art of cinema. And so even movies that I may not technically like, I can still find something that I love within it. One thing that I've really enjoyed about this show is being able to find some positive notes in everything that I've watched this year. And I know... I think it was even the beginning of this year I actually said I wanted to kind of do like, you know, sort of my own version of mystery science theater where I would rip on movies as opposed to, you know, talking about movies that I love. But then I realized, why do I want to do that when first off, that's what it seems like everybody's doing these days. It seems like everybody it's so easy to be negative. It's so easy to bitch about something. It's so easy to fight with people. But why? Why can't we just show some love for what we love like and I've said it on this show before, you know, as fans we need to stop being so insufferable. People put their hard work and you know, their blood, sweat and tears into these these movies. If you don't like it, that's fine. You don't have to. But you don't have to bitch about it either. Just don't watch it. And so with this show, that's kinda of what I wanted to bring. I wanted to bring a more positive spin. I wanted to do things a little bit differently, and I've grown. Throughout the past year over just the way I approach different things, you know, and and the way I talk about them and stuff like that. And you guys have you know, there's there's a few of you that have been listening to this show all year long. You've kind of been with me on that journey. So it's been kind of cool and I really appreciate it. You know, and I, I love you guys for it and whatnot. Like I said, it has been a rough year. I There's stuff I, I don't I'm not the most open person about things. And I have a tendency to suffer in silence kind of thing. So (laughs) this show has been the highlight for me. It's been something that I've, it lets me escape the harder things that I have to deal with sometimes. So I want to thank all of you for joining in on that and being a part of it. And trust me, 2022, I'm already planning some certain things for that. I wish it was easier to schedule my time around a midnight working ship because I would like to have guests on here, but it's so hard. And I I, I know even this past year, I I thought for sure it was going to happen and it didn't. And that was a bit of a bummer. We'll see if it happens in the new year, but until then I want to sign off saying, first off, you know where you can find the podcast. You can find it at Spotify, Apple podcasts, Google, Google, Player FM, Podbean, Podcast Addict, Audible, Amazon Music, the list goes on, I think it's on Stitcher and Deezer, and there's a whole bunch of them out there. Basically, any major podcast streaming app has it on social media, facebook.com slash whatlurksbehindpodcast0, on Instagram at whatlurksbehindpodcast0, and on Twitter at WLBpodcast0 again thank you so much this is uh the last episode of 2021 i'm taking a break for a couple weeks so i won't be back i'm aiming for second week of january i'd like to have a few weeks to just chill out and whatnot matrix is coming out this week so i'm looking forward to that um for those of you who know i do love my football and michigan wolverines are in the orange bowl new year's eve i plan on watching that I ain't going anywhere for New Year's Eve. I never do. That was not a COVID thing for me. I never... New Year's Eve is boring to me. I don't understand what... Wow! Yay! So the number changes. Big fucking deal. <laughs> like... I, I never... New Year knew me! Yeah, okay. Whatever. Shut up. Um, <laughs> New Year's is not one of my things. Um, but I, I am looking forward to New Year's Eve because of the Michigan Wolverines. And I think that's going to be awesome. Uh, so Merry Christmas to all of you or Merry Axmas Happy Horror Days whatever you want to call it from me to you uh, thanks for everything this past year and also I will say Happy New Year even though I don't care about it personally maybe you do so I'll say it to you Happy New Year and now there's only one fucking way I can close this show out And you know I'm gonna do it I'm gonna let our good friend John Kassir As the Crypt Keeper Do a little Christmas rap For you Of course after Al does what he does best
1: You need to shut The fuck up (laughs) Well How was that For a scream Poison ghouls Oh, don't worry about little Carrie. This particular Santa preferred older women. In pieces, that is. (laughs) Well, it just goes to show you. Be very careful what you ask for for Christmas. You might just get it. Christmas Day is near, me and all my fiendish friends have something you should hear, kids are swell, but ghouls from hell do like Christmas too, so write down everything I say if you know what's good for you, Jason wants a brand new look, his is a disgrace, this time he would like a mask with Robert Redford's face, Freddy wants a manicure for those Kruger nails, what a nightmare you will have if dear old santa fails jack the ripper has a wish and it's quite a pip he wants the dallas cowgirls cheering hey jack let her rip lizzie borden lost her folks gave them 40 whacks she wants a brand new mom and pop and of course an axe My drift. I want each ghoulish fiend I know to get their special gift. So listen good, my chubby friend. Lean your ear this way. Or I just might whack it off first thing Christmas Day. The headless horseman wants a gift. Bet you can't guess what. He's not only lost his head, now he's lost his butt. Hannibal, the cannibal, would like some Christmas punch. Then he'd like your elves and have them all for lunch Frankenstein just wants a girl wearing lace and bows but make sure she's blonde and stacked or they'll eat your nose Wolfman's needs are quickly met he's not hard to please just recommend a real good vet he's been getting fleas <laughs> <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> well that's the lid, Saint Nicholas weird as it may be Then get a thing for creepy me You better get busy, chubble! <laughs> Jolly old
0: Saint Nick.